When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You could give them a phone call. I think it's good that they get to know you. They need to talk to you. They need to get, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I know. Much as I hate that. <laughs> but the, why? I don't I understand don't, that about you. I don't like talking to people. <laughs> but they love you. And it's not that I don't like them. I'm sure they're all wonderful. I just it's, don't like talking. It's that Sigiliano. You can't, it can't breed it out of you. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. I am I so Sicilian. I am completely a Neapolitan. I talk to anybody. I talk to their grandmother. Yeah, <laughs> now, can I say one thing? Because I'm having my ADD is bad. <laughs> what? I just want your blessing. All right. So yep. do you want me to call him just to see how he was doing? Because yeah. if we don't keep friendly with him, he's going to be another one on the molecular. Oh, big time. Big, big time. That you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great From the moment you're a small bambino You eat pizza, you drink vino Then they make you roly-poly you get stuffed with ravioli. If your mama's a paisano, you will have the world on a plate. So see that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I'm your moderator, John Viola, and it's great to be back with everybody, especially this week, getting to spend a little bit of time with my buddy, Pat O'Boyle. Today, we have our associate producer, Stephanie Longo, in the booth from the beautiful northeastern corner of Pennsylvania. Guys, good to have you guys here. I'm here. I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> we, just had, we just had like a three-hour conversation. That's the worst part about this show. The best conversations are all offline. It's true. My brother told me we should be opening up the longer, unedited versions for people via video now that we're on Zoom, and I just don't think people would like us anymore if they heard our unfettered conversations. Well, they ain't going to see me either way. I don't like that. That's true. Yeah, I, I'm, it's, it's not me. I have to sit there. My hair's growing long. I think I'm growing my hair really long. Maybe I'll grow a beard. Grow a beard? I, I've never known you to not shave. Uh, that's true, but I'm trying, I'm trying to liberate myself in these times of pandemic. <laughs> trying to get with the program. Like, what are all these hipsters? They grow beards. Yeah. I had a beard for the beginning of... Uh, quarantine but i want the long beard yeah not like the trimmed beard i want to do like the russian orthodox mitered archimandrite beard. Like, <laughs> i don't hear you very well me maybe that's because yeah. i'm on an ancient cell phone with an earpiece that i got on an airplane <laughs> are you really on an I'm airplane gonna, earpiece yeah but i'm gonna I, I i have all the equipment you sent me and uh i have the computer and now i just gotta i'm hoping that the next time we're together I can use all the modern equipment and finally join 20. That'd be good. Pat, did the microphone arrive? Yes, I have the microphone. I have all the stuff. 
The new one that goes into the phone. It was too complicated. I don't even know. I have one that goes into the phone? Yeah, the one that we just sent you. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Which one is that? It just arrived. Rosella got hers on Monday, and you should have gotten yours on Tuesday. Oh, you mean the day before yesterday? Yeah. You think my, my mail um, uh, controller is going to release a package I got here on Tuesday? That's like, <laughs> we're looking at like the 4th of July before that. <laughs> oh, God. Before that was taped. Stand. Are you scared? Brother Anthony is keeping serious watch on mail coming in during quarantine. You think I'm going to just open up a package and say, oh, wow, thank you, Mr. UPS, man. I'm just going to open that up. I'm getting like uh, Easter card. <laughs> Hope you're enjoying Eastern quarantine. I'm like, wow, it's awesome. <laughs> he has like a 50-day lockdown, just in case. Oh, yeah, yeah. I may have to put in a special request with them. Well, today why is an interesting... To, if you listen to us right now, why are you listening? I think everybody's watched everything else on Netflix. <laughs> There's nothing left on... That could be... John wants to promote the podcast. You should promote it as when there's nothing else left on Netflix. Listen to us. <laughs> yeah, that'll be our commercial. How desperate are you? Here we are. Uh, it's an interesting week say, to. I'm sorry, but I'm off my. I, I was gonna say, how would you say that in Malay? But Rose not here. <laughs> no row, no row to translate. We miss her. We miss Rosella, her and her family. You know, it's a tough time for them. They're very much in our thoughts and prayers. Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're, we're here laughing, but there's people not laughing right now. So yeah, we miss our co-hosts, and uh, we're looking forward to Roe coming back. We wanted her to have a little bit of time. It's interesting that we're here today because you know we just passed Memorial Day weekend. Our episode aired Tuesday in observance of Memorial Day, but it really is the unofficial start of summer and doesn't particularly feel like the unofficial start of summer when you're sort of absent of the events and gatherings that we usually have. And I think the big thing that's been going through my mind lately is, you know, the weather's getting warmer here in the New York, New Jersey area. You can feel the humidity kind of picking up. And the three of us in particular have been talking a lot over the past couple of weeks about the fact that it's approaching feast season. And in my mind, I keep wrestling with the idea that this is going to be the summer of no feasts and all my favorite ones have already been canceled. And, you know, we talked a little bit about it in some other episodes, but I thought it'd be good to get together today and share with our audience because, frankly, we want their participation in some of the stuff that we're building to get everybody through this difficult summer. And we've got some plans that we're going to share with you guys about how we can keep the feast spirit alive when they can't actually be held in person. We've got some interesting new programs and content that we're creating in partnership with the Italian Sons and Daughters of America. And Pat and Stephanie have really been running that whole process for us. So I thought, you know, first of all, it'd be good to share with everybody a little bit of our passion for these feasts and then some of the strategies that we have and also some of the ways that the audience can help. Because I think that that's going to be really important because I think the beauty of the feast, at least in my mind, is the chance for people to get together on a regular basis, around their heritage, around their faith, around their tradition, and frankly, see people that you don't get to see all the time. You know, the many neighborhoods come alive for these feasts because generations come back and participate. And so we want to keep that going virtually in this unfortunate summer of no feasts. So that's a big deal for me. I know for you guys, I mean, I mean, Stephanie, last weekend would have been your feast up in Jessup and Oh, they did an amazing job in Jessup. Um, I always call the people there my familia because they really embrace all Italian Americans in Northeastern Pennsylvania. My family is not from Gubbio, but I feel like that festival is my festival as an Italian American from Northeastern Pennsylvania. Um, 
they did such an amazing job with everything that they did on social media. If you went on Facebook at any point last weekend, you were able to witness what they were doing. They got the community to rally together. They're very passionate about Santo Baldo in Jessup. It's in their blood. It's their soul of that town. They had a mass that was live streamed. They had a wreathing at the cemetery that was live streamed. This beautiful lighting up the night where people were lighting candles or little tiny bonfires in front of their homes and businesses in Jessup to light the way for St. Ubaldo in town. Just really amazing things that they did to really try to make this feast a virtual feast. I can't say enough of how impressed I was just witnessing that. And I'm very proud of them for taking what could have been a tragedy for their town and turning it into something so positive and so beautiful to really unite everybody. If you want a little bit more history on the Feast of St. Ubaldo as it exists in Jessup and Gubbio, Umbria, in our episode archive is two episodes that we did on Northern Italian American culture. And the second part, we had a great explanation and sharing from Stephanie of that feast. And it's one that we were intending to come to this year and record, Greetings from Italian America. But you mentioned something really interesting, certain feasts around the country, right? Some of them are really local and you know, it's just the people that came from that town in Italy and into a certain point, a certain place in the United States, and it's their kind of thing. That's like, for me, August 5th, Our Lady of the Snow. My family comes from Sansa. That's our patroness and protectress. We go back. It's like a family reunion. Everybody's kind of related, and it's, you know, a couple hundred people have a mass, follow the saint, and if you live in the neighborhood, there's things throughout the week, but it's really sort of a small, very, very intimate feast. But then, as you mentioned, there are some that have become kind of all-encompassing Italian-American feasts, particularly in certain areas. For me, that's the Giglio in Brooklyn in July, the Feast of St. Paulinus of Nola and Our Lady of Mount Carmel. You know, we talked about it on a bunch of episodes of the show. The men, mostly Nolani, but people from all communities now, they lift these multi-ton statues with the band and the priest, and they dance the Giglio throughout the neighborhood. And, you know, it's not going to happen this year. And I did have a conversation with Monsignor Jamie Gigantiella, who is the uh, pastor at Our Lady of Mount Carmel in Brooklyn. And, you know, it's a huge thing to not have this feast for the entire tri-state area. I mean, it's, it's one of the biggest in the country by far. Pat, what Jersey feast has kind of become the all-encompassing one for everybody? Jersey is too big to have anything that's all-encompassing. And the Italians don't get along well enough to have anything that's all-encompassing. There are regional feasts. When I mean regional, not Italian regions, New Jersey regions. Feasts that started out as parish feasts because it was the name of the parish or feasts from a certain town in Italy and then everybody kind of adopted it. St. Gerard in Newark, absolutely. Uh, the first word people that started from St. Gerard, the Capozales people from Capozales and, and Avellino uh, province have a huge devotion to him. And people in the whole Pina, where Stephanie's family's from, have a huge devotion to him. Now, remember, the community around St. Lucie's was the fifth largest Italian community in the United States in the 1950s. Without a doubt, St. Gerard is the number one beast for them, and that's in October. Um, I would say St. Anne in Hoboken. That started from the community from Monte San Giacomo and Squareno, from your own John, your own Val Viviano. Yep. Went to Hoboken. Uh, the parish was named for St. Anne. So their feast kind of became a Hudson County Hoboken feast. But I want to bring something up to you is that um, I just had a, a conversation this morning with one of the board members for my feast. And I'm talking about where we're going to be in a year from now, two years from now. Some people think these are premature conversations. I don't because. We've been discussing where do we go from here. Two Sundays ago, we had our feast online, uh, which we broadcast via Facebook Live. We had a mass. We had kind of a show, a podcast that we held to with Tony Manjo, who's another one of my board members. And from that afterwards, we kind of 
did a uh, watch party with Vanessa Rachi, and that held us over for this year. I think the question is, if we knew like this was like Hurricane Sandy, stuff like that, where, okay, you got hit, the hurricane's over, now we rebuild. We're not going to have it this year, but God will, we, there should be no reason why we can't have it next year. If we had that clear compass, I think it would be much easier to plan. I think the problem that we're having now is we don't know, A, what's, what's the world going to look like next year, and B, what, how do we handle the coming month? We have a monthly novena that we do, and we discuss doing the novena via Zoom, via Facebook Live. It looks like we're not going to do it. Part of the reason why we do the novena is that we all get together. So when the society started out in 1951, everybody lived in Jersey City. Matter of fact, our bylaws talk about, you know, um, you were required to go to the member, uh, a member's wake unless it was outside Jersey City. It's all Jersey City because at that time, everybody lived downtown Jersey City. Everyone was in walking distance of the church. Now my membership is, is spread near and far. So we had a monthly get-together. We had our novena because we would have it on a Saturday morning that we'd have brunch. And our thing is, okay, are we going to expend money now on paying the costs that, that, you know, the musician, the organ, or the church, all those costs? Um, are we going to deplete our fund? Is it going to give us the same return because people aren't getting to see each other? That's on one hand. The second hand is, do we keep going? Because by having the online aspects, we show people that there's hope and that we will eventually get through this to keep the community together. That's another argument. The third argument is that, you know, prayer has an intrinsic value to itself and that we shouldn't give up on prayer. So these are all questions that are floating around in our minds. And we don't know how do you stay together when you can't be together. Yeah, and I think everybody's trying to figure out new and creative ways to do that. And I know in speaking with Monsignor Jamie about the Giglio, the idea is that, you know, you want to do something, right? You want to acknowledge, obviously, it's a saint day. It does have the religious aspect. There is the value of the prayer the value of keeping the tradition going. You know, it's not like the World Series getting canceled for this thing where you know there's a major business on the other end that has to come back next year and we'll figure out its way. You know, these feasts are at their best, the collection of the goodwill and the piety and the commitment of the people who make them happen. So, you know, you do lose a little bit of momentum. So I think everybody is trying to figure out how you maintain that. And like you say, Pat, there's some of these parishes live off of their feasts. These are huge fundraising opportunities. So when you lose that, you lose a lot. I mean, I can name off the top of my head four landmark Italian parishes that their only real income all year is that feast. So people are like, wow, that church made a half million dollars, 300000 $100,000 on their festival. You know, the churches have all this money. That pays their bills for the whole year. Yeah. So you look at your gas and electric bill, you're like, oh, I can't believe it's going up. Can you imagine keeping the whole church warm? Yeah. So, you know, when uh, Aunt Marie and Uncle Sal go to Mass and there are senior citizens on a budget and they're helping their kids out who, you know, never really got off their feet after 2008 and they're putting $5 in the basket or $2 in the basket, that's the most they can put in, they're not covering the overhead. You know, the heat in the winter, the air in the summer, the electricity, somebody's got to pick that up and the feast money is what covers a lot of that. And now without that feast money coming in, when the boiler breaks, where's that money going to come from? When there's a hole in the roof, where's that going to come from? So, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of big questions. How do you keep a community together? And, you know, so many of these parishes, they're not territorial, not in the canonical law sense, but figuratively in the sense that people don't live in the neighborhood anymore, right? What's the Italian population of Williamsburg, Brooklyn? It's getting less every year. People don't exclusively just go to Italian church anymore. So you have a lot of people that drive in once or twice a year for some special church occasion. Yeah. 
So why are they going to come in now? I mean, it's safe to say that, you know, I was having this conversation with somebody about, um, you know, the upcoming election and the political conventions and saying like, you know, no matter what restrictions are lifted, you're not going to squeeze an arena full of people into seats that are, you know, inches apart when even if we're at what we think of as the sort of latter part of this, you need to be six feet apart. So there's no way you can get into these older urban environments, you know, blue collar urban spaces. We're not talking about Park Avenue parades where you can separate people. You, you know, these feasts are body to body. You're constantly pushing up against people, particularly when the actual feast is going on or the procession is going on. There's just no way that these things can go on this summer and, and into the fall. So the question becomes, is this a one-year blip? We won't know. But in the meantime, facing a year without these feasts, what are people going to do? And I know like watching the coverage that you guys did for the feast of Our Lady Sacromonte and the success that you had, which we did discuss in our last episode, which I thought was really great, or as Stephanie uh, shared with us, what's going on with the Feast of St. Ubaldo. And, you know, they had to be sort of the canary in the coal mine for this because it was the first major national feast to go through it. It does seem like there is some promise to the idea of having these things virtually and not only preserving them and, and keeping the flame alive, but actually sharing them with more people. Like, you know, there's an opportunity proposition in some of these things as well. I've been trying to find a silver lining in all this. It's, and it's very hard to find a silver lining in anything when you've had friends who've died, as I have. I've had friends who've died from this. Yeah. Um, the people who run feasts, none of them are digital natives. So I'm 45. I run a feast, and I'm a kid compared to most people who run these things. Yeah. I think it's extremely advisable that we do adopt some sort of online presence, social media presence to survive this year. And that when we do, God willing, come back, that we can go back to the old feast. Those things should stay on because that's going to keep the digital natives around. Yeah, you know, it's funny because it brings me to an interesting topic, which is some of the stuff that we've been cooking up. You know, when we started the Power Hour, which is almost two years ago now, and linked up with Dolores and Anthony and got Roe involved. And over all this time, you know, we were very clear uh, in our earliest conversations that for us, this was not just an opportunity to do something interesting, but really about service to the community. We've always seen this platform as both entertainment education, but also a, a central point of reference for the Italian-American community and one that can actually serve a purpose by building an audience and engaging them and bringing these kind of things to them. And so when it became apparent that these feasts were at risk and likely going to be canceled, Pat called me up and said, you know, I think there's opportunity for us to do something that can really help here. And obviously, Stephanie is my first call for all this stuff. And we started to throw some ideas together and we were able to engage our partners at the Italian Sons and Daughters of America, who have been instrumental in creating our Greetings from Italian America series, which airs first on their Facebook page and then on our YouTube page. And we kind of said, okay, can we replicate the success that that's had online and do something that's both educational, but also a temporary holdover? So we've been throwing around a lot of ideas, and I don't think I'm talking out of school by sharing a little bit of them with you, because I think it's important that we actually engage our audience here on the show and those of our social media followers and our neighbors in the new neighborhood in actually helping us to do this. So one of the things that I'm most excited about that we're cooking up is a website that Stephanie has been working on in conjunction with the ISDA. And it's really a digital repository, museum, personal scrapbook for the feast in the United States, some of which we may be able to do some bigger projects on, but it came to us in the conversation. It's like, well, 
why limit ourselves to the number? You know, there should exist somewhere a place that people can go and find this archive. And I, I'm just really pumped about it. And I think it's going to be a great gift to the Italian American community out of this tragedy and out of this difficult time that actually lives on for a long time. So Stephanie, why don't you talk a little bit about what inspired you to come up with this idea and, and how we see it going and how our audience could help us crowdsource? Well, you know, I don't think I've ever been this excited about a work project ever. So uh, this just I just want to say as the person who assigned you the work projects, you're always so excited. It's wonderful <laughs> to call you up and say, Stephanie, I have a crazy idea or Pat has a crazy idea or Ro has whatever it is. Whoa, whoa, wait, hold on a minute. What? What are you to tell me my ideas are crazy? <laughs> There's no such thing. Crazy's good. No, not for Stephanie. Oh, well, you, your ideas can be crazy. My I ideas said my first. Yeah, sure. Okay, all, first all you crazy all... kids. I am not. I had a priest at school. Child, you crazy kids. Maybe the other kids are crazy. I am not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, there's no such thing as a crazy idea. And that's what I love. Because when you're dealing with a situation like this where it's unprecedented, you have to go with a crazy idea. You have to see what that out-of-the-box thought is. And this project is so unique to the Italian American community because it is a virtual museum. It's a virtual place where people can go again, experience of these feasts. I know just for being the token Northeastern Pennsylvania person that's out there, uh, people don't realize what we have in our backyard. We have plenty of feasts in Northeastern Pennsylvania that if I speak to Italians from another part of the country, they're like, what that's in Pennsylvania. Are you kidding me? It's a nice idea that we have to be able to put a place online where people can discover these feasts and perhaps maybe make a road trip. You don't know if you're within a couple hours of a drive of a really cool feast that you didn't know existed. And I think that this repository is going to be amazing. And the crowdsourcing to me is the key to this entire project because we don't know what people have in their attics. We don't know what people's stories are. And we're inviting people to share these stories with us, to share their photographs, to share whatever they have. Just from being friends with the St. Ubaldo people on Facebook, seeing some of the personal artifacts that they were sharing during their event last week, it was mind-blowing what they have. Or even for my own personal feast, my family's from Guardia Lombardi, Avellino. So that's in August. So people are starting to ramp up a little bit now on Facebook with their sharing of things. And just seeing some of the local Italian-American history from that part is very interesting. Or even just the other festivals. So if this is just happening in a tiny area in Northeastern Pennsylvania, imagine what's happening in the rest of the country. So we want people to share their information with us. We want people to share their stories. There's no such thing as a feast that shouldn't be included. Every feast should be included. Um, even when I do my research on my area, I constantly discover new feasts that I had no clue about. Out. And I love that. It's just representative of how exciting Italian American history really is. And we're going to be the place where this is housed. I can't wait to see it all come together. And again, the, the details will continue to come out through our social media. If you follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, or you're a member of our new neighborhood, you'll be sort of the first to know when these things go live. But it's really exciting. And, and I think that the thing that excites me most about it is I loved the idea that you brought around building this museum out of people's sort of digital contributions and I will say digital donations because you know for my own life right I, I was online met some people uh, in Brooklyn and they shared with me a video some color footage from the 1950s of the procession of Our Lady of the Snow which is like I mentioned my family's deeply held devotion and I'm watching this video and I'm seeing first and foremost you can see yourself in it because you can see the habits and the rituals and the similarities between what we still do today and that that constant line, which is amazing. 
But then my dad says, oh, that's Uncle Tony. And, you know, you, I, you could spot the people in your family. And to me, the idea that these things are out there, you know, I, I'm a big collector, right? You guys know I'm super obsessed with my collection about Italian and Italian-American history. I will buy anything. And one of the things that I'd love to buy, which is obviously kind of hard to find, but I'm always hunting down, is family photos or uh, home videos. Because when you open up a reel of video and digitize it and you see a procession or a family making macaroni on Sunday or an Italian restaurant, you know, the, the people in the kitchen and whatever it is, whatever the elements are that are being preserved, I think to myself, this thing could have first and foremost ended up in the garbage. And so here it is preserved. But secondly, it's a window into who we are and who we were that people would have never known was out there. It's so hard to catalog these things if you're not passionate about them specifically. So all of us sharing a love for these feasts, when I found that video through a friend, I I was stunned that I didn't know it was out there and I had been so passionate about it. So I think to myself, this is going to be a resource for people, first of all, to share the best thing about feasts, which is people's personal experiences with them, these wonderful stories, what the saint means, what the festival meant, what the time together meant. Photos that have stayed in family albums will now be part of the public memory. Videos, artifacts, as you mentioned, you know, there's so much out there that people don't realize is in the ether. And we think of the internet as sort of all knowing, but unless we take the time to put this stuff there in a way that's accessible, it's not easy to find, you know? And when I was at NIAF, there had been a list for a long time of the feasts around the country, a feast directory. And, you know, you rely on the people who run them to update that. So if we can utilize this platform, which gets out to so many people in such a real and accessible way to find and catalog and present these feasts and and provide resources so people can experience them, I think we've provided a service and we've made something long lasting out of a time of terrible circumstances. So when I was doing research on my hometown of Dunmore a few years ago, I did kind of a crowdsourcing for photos and an elderly woman came and gave me about a hundred photos that were not labeled. And she said to me, she's like, this happened at some point in the 1940s and here they are and you can do whatever you want with them. They're just going to get thrown away. And I realized by doing some research that this was Dunmore's World War II Welcome Home Parade. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. I scanned the photos and there's a Facebook group called You Know You're From Dunmore where everybody just shares all sorts of different things. And I put them on there and I figured, you know, you don't know who might find a family member or whatever's going on. I got so many emails from people saying, I found a picture of my father that I never saw before. Or my uncle was at the after party at St. Anthony's Field and I can't believe that that was his restaurant that donated the spaghetti. Or there were other people that were just really intrigued by this. And come to find out now, this woman thinking that these photos were going to be thrown out, they ended up making the rounds. Dunmore Police Department has them. They blew up a few of them of the police in the parade. So this way they could have that on display. So you don't realize what's in your attic and what a wonderful gift that is to your community because nobody ever saw these pictures of Dunmore's World War II Welcome Home Parade. And now somebody has that in their house of a picture of their father marching down Drinker Street, or the Dunmore police has it in their lobby if you go to the police station, or the fire department's using it, or even the municipality itself. It's just a really great thing. So, you know, don't think that that photo that's sitting in your attic that you don't know who's in it has no value. It may just have amazing value to somebody that's out there that you don't even know exists. And to a lot of people. Yeah. To a lot of people, and to a community, and to a continuity. That's, to me, you know, I mean, Pat was with me uh, last year at my feast in Lady of the Snow when a 97-year-old a member of our club approached me 
and gifted me a copy of a photo of his third grade class, which included my grandfather. I'd never seen a young picture of my grandfather. He, you know, they didn't take pictures. They didn't have the money to sit for that kind of stuff. Nobody had a camera. And here was this picture of a nine-year-old version of my grandfather. And, you know. The other reason is those old school Italians, they did not believe in candid photographs. Yeah, that's true. They had to get dressed to the nines. It was like they were sitting for a painting. Yeah. They had, I mean, how many went to photo studios and put on fake clothes they didn't own or sat behind, like, you know, fake backgrounds? Because it was a portrait. It was, like having it was a portrait. Portrait. Right. They were not, it took a long time for the candid photograph to be accepted. Absolutely. Absolutely true. And, and I think that the beauty of these feasts is, like, people came out and this was an occasion, right? This was, as you said last week when you were talking about your feast, it's, you know, the 4th of July, your birthday, and Christmas wrapped into one. So, it's the time that people took out a camera or a video camera or, or, you know, like I met a guy, Joe Zalfo, who was the executive producer of NCIS New Orleans. And he was a Brooklyn guy, obviously Italian, moved to New Orleans for the show and just became a huge part of the Italian American community in New Orleans and was a big uh, supporter of the Feast of St. Joseph, which I came down to support and participate in all these years. So Joe and I hit it off and Joe was saying he was filming an episode in an old house, the location, some, you know, some, they rented some old house from an older couple in New Orleans. And in the corner is this stack of old posters and the old lady's there. And she says, oh yeah, I'm going to throw these out. You know, we used to collect these things. And he starts flipping through them. He's just kind of killing time. And in it is a poster, probably the only one in existence anymore. The first poster from the first ever Feast of St. Joseph's parade in 1970, in 1970. And uh, he you know, obviously was floored by it and she said oh you can have it but it was all these posters from different italian feasts around the area that they had collected and she was going to throw them out and uh he was able to preserve them and so for me you know those kind of things you know like pat and i have done some work to try to support the church of most precious blood in manhattan where the feast of san gennaro comes from and when you go up into the attic or the basement and you're cleaning and this and that you stumble on these things you know old posters old programs old billboards and you know that's history there and obviously it's hard to encapsulate all those things in a physical museum but it's 2020 and you can do this in a digital museum and i love the idea that you can do it with people's experiences stories and their real first person encounters with these amazing events so i'm really looking forward to that and another thing we're working on is maybe doing some special content for some of these feasts some of the more notable ones some of the larger ones out there that people may have heard about. So we have been kind of working on our list of some of the ones that are really preeminent in the community. You know, we talked about the Giglio, we talked about San Gennaro, San Ubaldo and Jessup, which has just passed. Uh, Pat, you, you are, you know, uh, as expert as anybody. What are some of the bigger ones that you think really warrant national attention? You know, the great Paul Porcelli, who I'm sure will soon be on the show, has taped like 408 unique. Italian feasts around the country. Um, he's done the multiple times. So he's done 408, but it's taken multiple trips to multiple feasts. So he's thousands of trips to film these. You know, Paul is the man who has given his life to feast. Yeah. He is the greatest. What I bring is I'm, I'm a historian. I'm a lawyer, but I'm, I'm a historian without the correct degrees. It's like people with their children. You can't say that there's one. The impact is different. So Boston is the feast capital of America. I mean, Massachusetts is like off the charts. And the reason why I say Massachusetts is off the charts is that Boston was very much a Sicilian city and it was a little bit anti-clerical. But in this sense, what the anti-clericalism did was the feast 
in Italy is not a parish event. The feast in Italy is a town event. Yeah. Because your parish church in Italy is one aspect of your community. There's the church, there's the communal oven, there's the piazza, there's the cafe, and all of these are different parts of the mosaic that make up a community. The patron saint in Italy is the symbol of the city. The feast is kind of like the 4th of July of the town. And every town has their own little 4th of July where they celebrate their protector. So it's a, it's a municipal event where everybody participates. The Southern Italian pastors got that. When the Italian-American pastors took over, they kind of had this attitude of, that's the old way of doing stuff. We're Americans now. We have to Americanize this. And what, how do you Americanize it? You turn it into a fundraiser. Yeah. Now, the money was for good things. Run the parish, build a new school, the CYO and everything else. But that mentality destroyed the feast, destroyed them. Because they just became another fundraiser. And that's not what they are. They are a devotional act. The people of Boston never drank the Kool-Aid of turning into a parish fundraiser. That's what killed all these feasts. That's the number one cause of what the death of the drop-off of feasts are. And the places that didn't give in, like Boston, they're the ones that thrive today. That's why I would say, without a doubt, Boston is the feast capital of America. North End, not even a question. It's interesting because you can see some of these feasts that have become so tied to their city. Like I'm looking forward to focusing on the Feast of the Assumption in Cleveland, Feast of Our Lady in Mount Carmel in Chicagoland, some of these places where they have managed to become like San Gennaro is here, St. Joseph is in New Orleans, really like they are in Italy, an identifier of the city. I mean, I've always said, I love when I go to the Feast of San Gennaro and there are people there that have absolutely nothing to do with being Italian, but when they come to San Gennaro, they feel like it's part of their culture because they're New Yorkers. And in Brooklyn, that's clearly the Giglio. I mean, I see people from all over Brooklyn and the whole city. And I'm looking forward to those feasts that have become kind of like they were originally in Italy, as you explained, intrinsically tied to the identity of their American city. And I'm excited to sort of dig in and cover some of those. And it's also opportunity for people in Italy to engage with us. One thing that I hope that comes out of this is that as the online presence of this builds, we are reattaching with Italy. You know, one of the best things when we did Madonna del Mondo last week, there were people in Italy watching because with WhatsApp and Facebook and Instagram and Zoom and every other social media and, and social communication portal we have now, we're as connected with Italy now more than we ever, ever possibly could be. And I think that the people in Italy, like, wow, this really does mean something to Americans. Because they would say, like, you know, we're from Monte San Giacomo, Monsuino. Yeah, there's a feast in New Jersey for St. Anne. They say it's just like the one here. Now they get to watch it. Yeah. So my thing is now, you know, in Italy, Italian-American culture is so often painted in a negative sense. Media in Italy have kind of painted as kind of like a gafona culture. I think that social media gets to bypass that and show them our celebrations are different 100%, but they're very sincere and they're very much authentic to who we are. So, okay, next year, God willing, we're live next year. We have the procession, we have the band. They can watch it live. Yeah. You know, a priest in Italy said something to me. He goes, you're preserving and restarting traditions there. That's, and he said it in such a genteel way. He said, that are slowly disappearing here. And I think part of it is that Southern Italians get the message of like, oh, these are old folkloric ways, they're superstitious ways. If you want to keep them going as a folkloric festival, that's fine. But in a spiritual sense, they don't meet with the modern world. When they see America, which is painted in so much of the world, that's kind of like the most, uh, which we're not secularized. They paint us as secularized, but we're really not. 
as, as the most modern country, as a very, uh, you know, the country of technology and everything else. When they see Americans valuing their ancient traditions, when they see it online, I think that gives them encouragement to keep doing what they're doing. And I think you're really right. I think that this is a great chance to tie these two countries and their feasts back together. I mean, you know, Pat, like you, you and I were in Tijano two summers ago or last summer, whatever, on the feast of Sancono with some Tejanese friends. And I remember them saying, oh my gosh, you know, they're following the saint with no shoes like my mother did or my uncle did. And I thought to myself, this is amazing, like to be able to see the original form and how close it has been maintained here in, in the U.S. I think being able to share that with the world uh, and bridge the ocean with the imagery and the audio and, and all the resources we have is going to be awesome. So I'm really looking forward to it. Stephanie, I know you're rocking and rolling with our friends at the ISDA on this thing, and it should be up hopefully soon. And we, like I say, you know, follow us on social media for the further announcements. But if you are listening and you are a participant or an organizer or a fan of a feast, uh, you have a devotion to a feast, do us a favor, take a look at italianfeast.com. The website may be up already and you may be able to contribute some stuff. Send us a message. You can always get us at info at italianpower.com. Send us what you think works, any stories uh, that you can write or record yourself telling the stories or audio, um, you know, music for a feast or video of a feast or photos or an artifact that you have, or frankly, just let us know where your feast is. We'll never get tired of getting emails telling us about what's going on out there. I, I know I can speak for Stephanie in that. <laughs> and uh, you know, we'd love to know. So help us build this wonderful resource. Help us not only keep these things going for the summer of no feast, but get them out there when these beautiful feasts return and get them out to more people here in our cities, in the U.S., and in the world beyond, because they're a great cornerstone of our Italian-American experience. And, and the more we can share them and hear about your experiences with them, the better it's going to be for everybody involved. So we're really, really looking forward to it, and we're mostly looking forward to your participation. So from all of us here at the Italian-American Podcast, we're going to spend the summer with you, doing all we can to make the summer as Italian-American as possible, and we hope you're going to come along for the ride. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with you next week. If you want your life to be great, see that you're born an Italiano, and your life will be great. See that you're born an Italiano, and your life.